Well, good morning, family. I'm so happy to see all of you. I'm really honored and, and really excited about this morning, um, about our guest speaker. When I first came to the Lord, um, you know, I, I like to say I became a Christian on the installment plan. So after I made my final installment and actually fully surrendered to the Lord, like we just sang about, when I fully surrendered to the Lord, right at that time, um, I was working at a Christian bookstore and a group of, of these surfers came in and started talking about this super cool church down in the Santa Cruz area. And they were telling me that I should come and experience it. So I drove down there on a Sunday morning. And the pastor that got up there spoke out of Isaiah 40. And, and I'm not over-exaggerating to say that it was literally transformative in my life. Um, he opened up the word in a way that I had never experienced before. He, he brought insights, and I, for the first time in my life, saw that the Bible could actually apply to my life. I had never seen that before. I mean, it seems, probably seems really obvious, but he has been opening up the word of God for me and for tens of thousands, probably I would say at this point, hundreds of thousands of people throughout the world. He speaks all over the world. He's highly sought after. He's my spiritual dad. And I would like you to warmly welcome your sending grandfather church. So they sent a church to San Jose and that church sent us here. So he, we go way, way, way back before many of you were born. And um, I just want to ask if you would stand and honor my pastor and my spiritual dad, Daniel Brown. Thank you. Yeah, wow. <clears throat> Well, good morning, uh, grandkids, I guess. I would invite you all to come up and sit on my lap, but I don't think that's going to probably work really well. Um, there is a lot to be said for a lifetime uh, lived in the patterns of God. And I was thinking this morning about a, a psalm that, uh, that David, you know, King David, they call him the sweet psalmist of Israel, but it's a psalm that he prayed, and when I myself was having a, uh, a transformative in encounter with God when I was, I think, 17 years old, I was a freshman at uh, UCLA, and, and God just grabbed a hold of me. And I can't really explain all the way that it happened, but I can tell you that when he really had a hold of my heart and my life, I found this desire to read the Bible. And I started reading and reading, and I came across this psalm that I probably have uh, prayed and quoted, I don't know how many hundreds of times in the years since. I'm 37 now, so that's been about... Uh, okay, I'm just saying if you were awake, that's all. I'm just, just yeah. <laughs> anyway, it goes like this. He says, Lord, make me know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me because you are the God of my salvation, and I wait for you all day long. And it was an understanding that I had. I don't think it was formulated so well. I don't think I could have actually expressed it in a way that anybody would understand. But I knew deep in my heart that the ways of God, 
how he chose to do things were not the ways that I would choose to do them. And I, I had to acknowledge that, that in some of my early years, even now that I was a Christian, I spent a lot of time trying to convince God to do things my way. I don't know if you've ever done this, that you uh, close your eyes and offer advice to God and then call it prayer. <laughs> and it, it was man, a little bit frustrating to realize that he wouldn't bend. He had great, great mercy for me in that he would constantly, okay, I forgive you, but that's not really the way that I would do it. He always would point the right direction, but he, he wouldn't change. And so I, I quickly caught on that if I was going to live a life for God, if I was truly going to call him not just my Savior, which he was happy to do as many times as I needed it, and trust me, I nearly wore out that title for Jesus because I needed the saving so many times, but if I was going to call him Lord, if I was going to say, well, I will do what you say for me to do. Like when Jesus, uh, the scriptures tell us that when he came and lived his life, his constant prayer was referring to the Old Testament. He says, behold, in the scroll of the book it is written, I have come to do your will. And we call ourselves Christians, okay, <laughs> little Christs, people who are wanting to be like he was. And his main uh, thrust for his whole life, including going to the cross, all of it was him saying, Lord, I have come to do your will. And so as I prayed this prayer, Lord, it's basically saying, change the way that I think. I don't even trust my own eyes to see things the way that you do, because for you, the dark and the day are all alike. You see things that I don't see. Scriptures tell us that, that humans look on the outside, the surface, the appearance, but God has a sight that goes beneath everything that's just on the surface. So I said, Lord, I really want to know your ways. You are not a quantum God. You're not... You know, we don't need to kind of... I know he's in here somewhere... I don't seek the Lord by, come out wherever you are. That isn't how we seek the Lord as though he's some mysterious figure that doesn't really want to be found. Seeking God is better translated, this idea, I want to align myself with you. You are saying things to me. Think of it as catching a fly ball, as it were. And when God is speaking to us, when he's wanting to do things in our life, we have to get ourselves in a position so that we can catch what it is that he's saying. And since he doesn't do things like we do, that if I just adopt the posture that I naturally would when I have experienced or encountered something, when something has been done with me, 
or done to me, if I adopt the posture that normal people do, the chance of me catching what God is up to in my life is really small. So I say, Lord, I want to know your ways. Now, as I said, I've been reading my Bible for a long time, a little bit more than 20 years since I was 17. And, uh, you know, I'm not theologically trained, as you maybe have already figured out. And if you wish to dismiss anything I say, you can nudge the person next to you and say, well, he was never trained. Okay? <laughs> and then you don't have to believe what, I, what I'm going to share with you. But the way that I read my Bible, I just, I just marked everything I liked the sound of and anything that was confusing to me. I just put a little question mark in the margin and kept reading. Now, I don't know what you do digitally, you know, with your little, your little thing. You try to read the Bible. Where is the coffee stain on that page? How do you remember where anything is in the Scripture? Oh, yeah, there's that little blue mark and that coffee. Oh, I know right where it is. But as I lived my life on with God, the question marks began to disappear. And I will acknowledge that there was a biggie that was left, and it was the parable, the, the, the statement that Jesus makes, uh, that Jesus made, that I'm going to share with you today, and the only reason I'm doing it is a few weeks ago, I was in another part of the, of the world, and the pastor there wanted me to talk on this passage, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 you really don't. I have no idea what that passage means. It's going to be the shortest sermon in the world. Good morning, everyone. Open up your Bible, read it, and I would say, does anyone have questions? Well, I sure do, and does anyone have uh, answers here? But I just said, Lord, I'm going to trust you, and, and here we go. So we're going to read this parable, and I, I feel as though God gave me an, uh, uh, an understanding that really applied to my life. And I want to warn you ahead of time, on the surface, it will appear as though Jesus is talking about your money but there will not be a second offering, okay? I checked with your pastor last night, and I said, please take the offering before I talk, because I'm not going to try to get you to give more. So it will talk about money, but we're headed in another uh, direction. Okay, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, and I'm going to read quite a few verses, all the way up to verse 13, uh, try to stay with me, and then I'll go back and share a little bit. And since my translation is a little bit different than the one that you use, I'm going to read the one that you see on the screen so you're not wondering, hey, what's going uh, on here? I can't see that one. I think I can see this one. Yeah, okay, there we are. So here we are. Uh, so he, Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. And so he called him and he said to him, What is this I hear about you? You give an account for your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then the steward said within himself, What, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I can't dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do then, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. And so he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? 
And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So the steward said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And so he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And so the steward said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. And so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fall they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Is there more? Well, I'm going to go to my Bible then, because I want to go all the way down. Oh, no, that's it. That's as far as I wanted to go. Oh, verse 13. Sorry, one last thing. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, do you understand why I was a little confused? Because it sounds like Jesus, who only speaks truth, is telling everybody, hey man, the way you know how the world works, if you cut somebody a deal financially, they're going to be your new best friend for the rest of your life. So my advice to all of you is cheat your master and make friends for yourself. And that just kind of doesn't really sound like what Christ would say to people. So let's be really clear from the beginning. Jesus is is kind of comparing two ways of living. And he uses this word mammon. Now, many people think that's just another word for riches. But mammon is actually the name of a false god, a demonic being that kind of rules over riches. And all gods basically say to you, there's only one true god, I want to make that clear. But all of these false gods try to be like the true God, and all gods issue commands and tell you you need more of them in your life. All gods say to you, if you put your trust in me, I will secure your future. All gods say to, me, say to us, you need more of me so that you can be defended against the inevitable disasters that are going to come your way. So you have, on the one hand, the God Mammon, the God of riches, who says to us, you need more of me. This God tells you what you should do in order to have more of it in your life. And God himself, the true God, the one true God, tells us that we really want to put our trust in him, and he will teach us how to be in such a way that our future is secured. So Jesus is trying to set up for these people 
and understanding his disciples, he's trying to say, I wish that my kids, I wish that people in my kingdom were as understanding and wise about the way my kingdom works. I wish they were as smart as people in the world understand how the world works. These are two very, very different systems. And in the world economy, in the world way that things are going to work out, of course, if you are generous to somebody and you cut them a deal financially, they are going to really like you and really enjoy you. And God is trying to say to us through Jesus' parable that if we understood how the kingdom of God functions, we would also be able to make use of some really simple principles that truly would secure our future. Because, see, this unrighteous steward, he recognizes my, my uh, tenure in this position is ending, and I don't have any hope for my future on my own strength, so I'm going to have to figure out how to work the system so that it gives me a future far greater than anything I can come up with on my own, because I don't know how to beg and I don't know how to dig. I have no future on my own. I'm going to have to play the system. Does this make sense? So Jesus is trying to say, man, I just wish my people also understood that the future that is intimidating them, the future that they know, I don't have the strength, I don't have the know-how to get into everything that I, I, I'm going to have to play the system also. So is that, I mean, I've got lots more to say. I hope you've got lots more to hear, but... Do you see the kind of this, this basic contrast? Now, I will just for a moment talk about the finances, and we can, in a sense, set that aside, although it's right there in the Scripture and might be something for you to consider. So Jesus says this, If, if you don't know how to steward this very small little dirty thing called money, if you, being the big you, that you, if you don't know how to deal with that, what, what would make you imagine that God is going to entrust you with something like true riches? This is just a nothing. And if I am faithful in something as small as this, the principle is that God will entrust me with more. But if I'm not faithful in this, it doesn't matter what anybody else knows or sees, but if I'm not faithful in this, you understand the chance of me becoming a significant uh, person in the kingdom of God, able to make a difference in the lives of other people, it's like non-existent. So, as you were told, God owns cattle on a thousand hills. If he wanted a burger, he's not going to steal yours. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, 
the tithe, 10%. The tithe is like the casserole dish that God gives you your tuna casserole in when you're laid up at home sick. And he fills the dish, gives it to you, and if you think, I'm not giving the dish back, baby. <laughs> and you, what do you have, a stack of them in your closet of tuna casserole dishes? Man, look at me. I got them all kept away. Do you understand that eventually there might not be as much tuna casserole coming your way? Because when God gives you the tuna casserole, you keep the dish for crying out loud. What is with you? See? So, again, we're, did I tell you we're leaving the money part? I'm on my way out the door, okay, on this. You don't tithe. Do you know it's called robbery? And I don't know what your background is, if you're a skilled uh, thief, but just, I mean, I'm not necessarily. One little thought, if you're going to steal from someone, don't think stealing from God is the smartest thing you know to do. He doesn't even need cameras. So, I, I mean, again, people get confused by this. They imagine that the ways of God are like a like a smorgasbord, like a like a cafeteria. And I walk into this place, and I'm going to pick the few dishes that I really like, but no way am I going to eat my vegetables. No, the way of God is a, is a pattern of living. And his ways are connected. So if I decide ahead of time, no, I'm not going to walk in that way of your plan, oh God, but I ask that you do amazing things in my life irregardless, pretty soon... There are so many pathways that we won't take. And God is like, I would love to bring you on. I want to I take you places, but you, you won't walk anywhere. And then we get really foolish and we look at other Christians that perhaps are walking in more of the ways of the Lord. And we, we call them lucky or anointed or some nonsense like that. Obedience is a pretty big deal. Okay, but I'm not talking about finances today. We're leaving that. What I want to suggest to you is that there are several patterns like our finances where God does things differently than we do. He says about our resources, give and it will be given to you. He says the generous person will himself or herself be watered. In other words, it kind of starts, it primes the pump. And if I withhold from others, then a lot is going to get withheld from me. But if I understand how the kingdom works, then I will secure my future by being generous. Okay, let's switch gears. Same exact principle for something that we would call forgiving. Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive me in exactly the same way that I forgive others. Wow. And even if you've never prayed that prayer, 
it's still a pattern of God. And to the extent that I live how he wants me to live, doing things that I I get it, are really scary because this doesn't make any sense. If I make myself vulnerable to someone who has taken advantage of me, if I just forgive what has been done, then what's going to happen to my future? Guess what? There is another God who tells you, don't ever forgive. But that is not the God that we serve. So the, and I'm not talking about forgiving this morning either. I, I mean, by the way, nobody told me what time I'm supposed to stop, so let us all pray for the children's ministry workers. <laughs> no, no, I, I, what time do, am I done? I shouldn't ask a pastor, they will never uh, tell you the truth. They will, oh, go as long as you want, because, anyway. Okay, I want to talk to you about a word that will scare you a little bit, but you've already sung about it. Surrender. I'm not talking about quitting. I'm not talking about being defeated. I am talking about surrendering and placing ourselves in the hands of the Lord. The greatest pathway to victory is surrender. And I want to take you to two other uh, Bible passages to see if we can't flesh this out a bit more. So we'll come to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verses 24 through 25. And I'm going to (laughs) read, it's hard for me to look at a screen and, and... So I'm going to just read from my own Bible, and you can follow along. I don't think it will confuse you too much. John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Truly I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. So Jesus is acknowledging, again, another principle that makes no sense to us. Everything about how we've been raised is to say to us, keep yourself from dying. But the Lord says, a seed, a a believer, who never encounters this thing called death, who, who exerts all of their energy to keep anything sad or bad from happening to them, they might even survive. But they will be alone and there will be no fruit that comes from their life. There is a life that happens only after a death. Now, I'm very aware that speaking to this group of people, that it would be so easy in our minds to hearken back to the history and the loss of your pastor, your husband, your father. And 
I'm not insensitive to that, but I, that's not, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the situations that you and I face on a fairly regular basis where we have to choose which route are we going to go. And the most normal way to choose is I'm going to defend myself, I am going to secure myself, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep that from happening to me. I am not suggesting that people make themselves vulnerable to wickedness and abuse and a wrongness that comes their way. But I am saying that there are these things inside of our mind when we face situations. And we know very clearly we have a choice. Am I going to trust in God who is the one who gives life after death? Or am I going to do everything to make sure and I don't care who else it puts an end to? I will fight to the end. And Jesus said, if you make that your course of life, you will be without fruit. The next scripture is the one all of this has been about getting to. So if you have your Bible, it's just over a couple of pages. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to pick it back up again. Now, that's pretty sobering. Jesus says, let me tell you why God loves me. Let me tell you why the Father adores me. And okay, we know God loved him and God loves us. But Jesus is trying to say to us, oh, when we do this, Jesus, when I do this, the Father loves me so much. Because remember, I came to do His will. I choose to surrender. I choose to lay down my life. It's my choice. I have not been defeated. I have not been beaten in some contest. Nobody has triumphed over me. I have not quit. I have made the most powerful choice that is possible. I surrender my life. I am the only one who has that authority in my life. Do you realize, no matter what anybody says or does, no matter what power anybody else has, 
No one has the authority that you have over your own life. It is the greatest exercise of free will. It is the greatest declaration of my personhood, of being the woman, the man that God made me to be. There is nothing that compares to the authority that I have to lay down my own life. Nobody can take from me that choice. My observation through many years of walking with God and knowing a lot of people who have, the authority when Jesus says all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, the kind of authority that he wants to, some people call it maturity, that he wants to grow us in, that authority comes from the willingness of men and women to surrender their life. The more that I surrender the more victorious my spiritual life becomes. I'm not saying this is easy, because we have faced things, haven't we, that we truly have not just thought are going to crush us and end us, but we go through that season where we... And what do we say? I am dying. So I don't mean a little decision, oh yeah, well, okay, I'll be inconvenienced a little. I I mean, Jesus had a lot of agony. But he understood there was an other authority. Because he was the one that chose to lay down his life, because you and I can choose to surrender, it gives us the power to pick our life up again. And I promise you this, anything that you see in other people, anything that strikes you, now that is a woman of God, that's a man of God. Boy, I just there's just something about them. Any of that that you see in other people is the life that they have picked up after. You can't go someplace and get training in afterlife. You don't become an expert. Oh, yeah. I mean, hallelujah. I just pick up. I pick up my life. No, not without a lot of dying. I don't care how many syllables uh, you add to your words. I don't care. No, no, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be making fun, but there are so many, there are so many pseudo spiritual things that we have the right language, the right movements. And depending on your age, your movements are different that are cool that, uh, for old guys. We don't move much anymore. But <laughs> Spiritual life is not in the surface things. Spiritual life is in the guts. It is in the deep, dark places where we have cried out to God, as Jesus did. Lord, if there is any other way, I don't want to do this. Jesus didn't want to die. 
But when he understood that there was no other way, that it was the Father's will, he said, then, I will surrender. Now, friends, you will have to, well, you don't have to do anything. When I'm sharing a spiritual principle like this, I hope you understand I don't know your specific situation. And if you're confused, if you think that I'm telling you to submit yourself to abusive, wicked things, please talk to somebody. Please talk to one of your pastors, somebody that you trust spiritually. When God is asking you to surrender, it's a thing he does really, really deep. And it's the life that comes after that that I covet for you. Maybe another way that I would say it, and I, you know, I didn't talk to the worship band, the songs that they chose. I mean, they, they talked a lot about surrender. The, the sort of spiritual language is into your hands, oh God, I commit my spirit. I want to know you more. You sang that. I'm telling you there are some things about God you will never, ever know until you surrender. I'm not defeated by my human opponents. I am surrendered to the God who holds me in his hands, who only wants to do me good in the end. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. And I am certain that he is able to keep what I have surrendered to him, what I have entrusted to him. See, the world system tells you the only safe place is to defend yourself. And the Lord says, no, 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 the safest place is to place yourself in my hands and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Let me pray. Lord, only you can apply the truth of your word to all of our situations in the right way. And I ask, first of all, that there would be no one here who somehow imagines that you desire them to suffer. That they have to prove themselves to you by enduring a situation that is wicked and wrong. Lord, I, help, I ask that you would help everyone who is here and online to hear that you're inviting us to get even closer to you. That when we're in situations, especially ones that we can do nothing about, that we wouldn't try to keep doing something about situations we can do nothing about. That we would 
entrust ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us life after we lay it down. You give us authority to pick things up that we never even would have had had we not laid ourselves down before you. And Lord, I want to speak to everyone here the kind of growth and development and maturity and wisdom that you want to give to them if they will walk this path. Lord, we say it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And nevertheless, not our will be done, but yours. You led the way, Jesus, for the joy that was set before you You endured the cross, and we are the fruit of your life that was laid down. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to be barren people. We want to be those who bear fruit for your kingdom. And so teach us, Lord. Teach us how to surrender. Teach us how to lay down our life. In Jesus' name. I wonder... If I could just take two more minutes of your time. Oh, pastor's right here. Well, no. (laughs) Well, I, yeah, I I told her before we, you know, earlier that I would ask her, I want her to close the service because it's the church that God has entrusted to her. But I just wanted to make the, the simple point that Jesus laid down his life for you very personally. And I would imagine that most of you have thanked him and received what he wanted to give you because he laid down his life for you. But if you're here today and you don't even understand, you thought that religion was all about performing and having to be something, and you didn't understand that Jesus died for you. And I quoted a scripture when I was praying. It's from the book of Hebrews. And it tells us that Jesus had you in mind. And it was the joy of seeing what would happen in your life that gave him the willingness to die on that cross. And maybe today is the day that he saw so many centuries ago seeing you come to life and receive forgiveness that his death purchased for you. He has so much for you. Jesus loves you. Pastor. I just believe this is a holy moment. You know, there are certain moments in our lives where God wants to come in and bring revelation to us. He wants to bring transformation to us. And I believe this is one of those moments. I believe this is a moment we will refer back to as we share our story about the day that I really surrendered. 
I don't know what it is that you need to surrender. As Daniel said, this is, this is between you and your maker. But if we want the life that Jesus offered, if we want to experience the fullness of joy and his presence, it requires surrender, requires laying down our agenda, laying down our own lives. And I just believe that we cannot leave this moment until we do this. Whether it's unconfessed sin that's holding you back, whether it's doubt, whether it's self-protection, you know, whatever it happens to be, whether it's pride, I don't know what it is, but Jesus knows, and you probably know too. So can we take this moment and surrender to him? Not like you surrender, you know, in, in war where you surrender to your enemy. This is surrendering to the one who wants to just amaze you with his love and his kindness that leads us to this point of surrendering, to this point of changing our mind. Are you with me? So um, I want to encourage those who are watching online to please don't let this moment go. Put down the vacuum. (laughs) Just let's do this. Can we, um, if you're physically able, Um, Just get on our knees. And if you're not physically able or if this seems weird to you, that's fine. There's no judgment, but I just believe we're supposed to fully surrender this moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for what you spoke today by your spirit. Lord, and right now, we surrender. We surrender, Lord. We we even surrender thoughts about you that aren't true that somehow you are not for us, that somehow you are against us, or that you want to punish us, or that you are not completely good. God, you are faithful. And we just thank you, Lord, that as we surrender, Lord, we can experience the resurrection that you've offered us, that afterlife that is filled with your presence, that is filled with good things, it is filled with the joy that comes in being reconciled to our maker. So right now, Lord, we confess anything that we know as individuals. We confess anything that we recognize that is holding us back from freely laying down our lives. Lord, we recognize too, we are the only ones who can do it on our own, on, our, on behalf of our own life. We, no one can make us do it, nor can anyone take it away from us when we do. So Jesus, we just declare, God, I surrender. Can you just tell him that right now?
Thank you for your transforming power. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. I think there are probably some of you that um, have have deeper to go in this and I just want to encourage you take the time take the time to spend in the presence of the Lord that is where we will be transformed that is where we will experience complete joy amen amen God is good do you sense his presence today Take it with you. Take it with you. Share it with people who are broken and hopeless and lost and searching. Be bold in your faith. There are people around us dying every day. Take what Jesus is pouring into you right now and bring it to a lost and dying world. That's the one thing Jesus left us with. Go into all the world. Preach the good news. Amen? All right, I love you. We will see you next week. We have a a great word from the Lord out of the Psalms again next week. Take somebody to lunch. Stick around and talk and love each other. God bless you. you.